Now please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. As we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount, we'll read verses 5 to 9. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you do pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And may God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us now, that we would hear your voice, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, and that hearing his voice that he would know us and we would follow him and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Our Father. In this passage, we come to the model prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer. But before he taught us how to pray, he told us how not to pray. Specifically, he told us not to pray like the hypocrites or the heathen. Now, what's a hypocrite? Uh, maybe he says one thing and does another. His personal or private life does not match his public image. I know I have told you this before at some point, but I, I cannot resist it. I hope that it is as, uh, as uh, interesting to you as it, as it remains to me. But uh, uh, 20 years ago, almost exactly 20 years ago to the day, I was driving through the upstate of South Carolina on I-85. Uh, it was late at night. I was flipping through the radio on my little car, trying to find something interesting enough to keep me awake. And I ran across a, a, a Christian station on the radio, they were having a pledge drive or a telethon or whatever they call it. 
and uh, and the host on the radio station was he was laying it on real heavy to get that money rolling in, and uh, and he said, if you listen to this station and you are blessed by this station, but you don't give to this station, you are a hypocrite. And then he said, I never forget what he said. He said, you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is carrying a King James Bible but living an NIV life. That was the best definition of a hypocrite I ever heard. Now, in all seriousness, the word hypocrite came from the theater of ancient Greece. A hypocrite was a word for an actor. And back in those days, actors wore masks in a theater. That's what a hypocrite is. An actor who puts on a mask. Look at verse 5. And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. You see, it's all theater. They want to appear pious to people. This facade, it's a mask. Not only the hypocrites, but Jesus also says, not to pray like the heathen. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Don't pray like the heathen. Because heathen are all people who do not know the true God. Pagans. The pagans had all kinds of rituals to try to get the attention of their gods. Little g gods, of course. In a dry spell in July, people will joke about doing a rain dance. That was a pagan Ritual to try to get their gods or their spirits' attention and manipulate them into sending rain. Or the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel who danced around the altar and cut themselves and shed their own blood and cried out over and over, Oh, Baal, hear us and answer with fire. As pagans. Hypocrites are trying to appear religious to other people. Heathen are trying to do things that will persuade their gods to do what they want. And these two groups, hypocrites and heathen, they represent everything that is essentially wrong with Norman, normal human religion and prayer. Jesus says, do not pray like either of them. And the first two words 
In the prayer, he teaches us two simple words provide the fix and the corrective, the antidote to hypocritical and heathen prayer. Our Father. Let's look at these two words. And we'll take them in reverse order, at least in English. It's actually in the order of the Greek. Father comes first, pater humon. That's not why we're doing it that way. It just outline will flow better. But, but first, the Father. The Father. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him in this manner. Therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. The reason we are not to practice pagan-style religion is because Jesus says that our Father knows the things we need before we ask Him. Jesus used the most personal word for God, Father. And Jesus immediately draws attention to the Father's transcendence. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's huge, immense. He already knows what we need before we ask. He is our Father in heaven. His glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. And he knows what we need before we ask. He has declared the end from the beginning. He is all-powerful, sovereign over everything. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. The pagans worshipped the way they did because the idols of their devotion were what they call mutable. Or they were changeable. If they nagged their gods, they might twist their arms and get them to change their minds. Or the pagan gods might wake up on the wrong side of the bed on a given day. So they had to say and do the right things to try to placate them, to, to butter them up. Pagan gods have to be rubbed the right way. But the only true God is the great unchangeable I am. Jesus is crystal clear. We do not pray because God needs us to bring anything to his attention of which he was unaware we do not pray because we might need to convince God to change his mind about something because we know something he does not. 
Now, there are a few places in Scripture that do say the Lord changed his mind or regretted something. That's what's called anthropomorphism. All that means is it's describing the incomprehensible God in human terms. It does not mean that God had made a, ma- a rash decision, but somehow cool-headed Moses prevailed on God, and so he changed his mind. Not at all. It's just using a literary analogy to help us understand that the fact that God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable does not mean that he cannot interact with us. The scripture has to use these figures of speech because the reality is so far above our heads as to be a profound mystery. That the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign, unchanging, and infinite God is the Father. Just listen to what Psalm 103 says. We sang some of these words Just a little while back, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows what is best for us. He has our best interests at heart. He pities us as a father pities his children. This is why we ought to pray. Not because we have some hidden information that God needs to know from us. Absolutely not. He knows everything already. We need to pray, not in order to get him to care for us. That's how pagans pray. But we need to pray because the true God already cares for us. He's the Father. That's first word, Father. Now, secondly and finally, our. Our Father. Has the Father become your Father? You know why the the hypocrites prayed only to be seen by other people? Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets 
that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The hypocrites didn't have that. They did not have a personal relationship with the Father. The pagans' religion was about calming their anxieties. They made up gods and empty rituals to please their gods to try to get them to do something about the things that worried them. It hadn't rained. All summer, I'm going to lose my crops. Maybe there's something I could do that would convince the gods to send me some rain. That's a pagan religion. The hypocrite's religion was about making a good impression on other people, being well thought of. But true religion is about God. Jesus here is not saying that we may only pray in our room, at home, behind closed doors. There are plenty of public prayers in the Bible. In fact, in John chapter 11, Jesus said that he prayed in public because it was good for the people gathered at the grave of Lazarus to overhear his prayer. No. Jesus is saying that if we know God personally as our Father, we do not feel the need to impress people. If you have God as your father, you already have the highest dignity conferred upon you. You are a child of God. In his wonderful little book on the Sermon on the Mount, Sinclair Ferguson quotes James I. Packer from from his wonderful book, famous book, Knowing God. I'm sure many of you have read Knowing God. You might have read it 40 years ago. Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. The Lord Jesus who taught us to pray, our Father is the eternal Son of God. He is God the Son and the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable Son of God 
was sitting there on that mountain in human flesh. The divine son of God entered this world and became man in order to be the human son that the father had always wanted and that all men since Adam have failed to be. We read that Adam was made the son of God. But he rebelled and fell from the righteousness and dignity with which he was created. He did not inherit eternal life. He forfeited his dignity and his righteousness and his sonship through his sin. And as a result, We who are the children of Adam are not by nature the children of God. Rather, Scripture tells us that we are by nature the children of wrath under the wrath and curse of God. Not his children, but his sworn enemies. But the Father, God the Father Almighty, in his magnificent grace, sent his only son, his only begotten son, to be the son that Adam and we had not been. And through a life of perfect obedience to the Father, through his death in our place for our sin, through his resurrection in which he was declared to be the son of God in power by the Holy Spirit, through his ascension to the right hand of the Father from which he has poured out on his people the Holy Spirit who is called the Spirit of Adoption. Through him, through the Son of God, we may become the children of God through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. you've been adopted into the family of God have you been redeemed by the son of God is the spirit of the son of God in your heart crying Abba Father there was a great preacher in a farming community outside of Essex, England in the 1600s by the name of Stephen Marshall. 
Stephen Marshall was generally considered to be the greatest preacher in England of his day. He was one of the men who wrote the Westminster Confession, which we hold in the ARP Church. The Parliament used to call Marshall in to preach to them. It was said that Stephen Marshall was the favorite preacher of Parliament. Now, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing that a bunch of politicians want him to come preach to them. I don't know. But for all his erudition and renown, he was at heart a simple country preacher. And he spoke the language of simple country people. And I want to end with something he said in a sermon entitled, The High Privilege of All True Believers to Be the Son of God. He preached it on November the 12th, 1654. It's in old English, but he spoke plain enough we can understand him today. He said the poorest believer Though, as we say in the country, he go with his flail or rake, or as you'll say in the city, he carries a tankard. The poorest believer that hath Christ for his Lord and Savior, he is exalted to a higher condition than Ahasuerus was when he was made the emperor of 127 provinces. For let them take all the pomp, wealth, and state that is in this world. Let them have it all. If they have not Christ, God looks upon them as Satan's slaves. And over a few days, they will perish among the dogs, I mean among the devils, and be base and miserable forever. Whereas... The poorest servant of God that believeth in Christ, the Lord considers him as his firstborn. Oh, I would fain if it were God's will that God's people would lay this to heart. It would comfort them against all the scorns and reproaches of the world. So a poor child of God may say, I go in a russet coat and have never a penny of money in my purse and undergo many afflictions and troubles. Well, but God is my father. And the very thought of the dignity that God hath exalted him to will make him quietly and contentedly undergo all the afflictions of this world. That's what the Lord Jesus meant when he taught us to pray. Our Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.